0: Last time, a bird of the week. Questions were asked. What is a bird? Answers were given. A bird is any warm-blooded, feathered animal belonging to the class Aves. Facts were checked. Wait, is that how you say Aves? Aves. Damn it! But this week we're going further. Birds? And it's all the heck going to come. It is. Together right now. Hello, and welcome to Bird of the Week. It's a podcast about birds released on a non weekly basis. Episode 2 The Heck's a Bird. Part 2 So, last week we asked the question, What is a bird? And, in our quest to find an answer, we went on a romp to Bavaria, travelled back in time 150 million years, and we began to learn about taxonomy! We found out that there are something like 10,000 different species of birds flip-flapping their way about this planet. And this week, we're going to go even further. We're going to take a tour of the 10,000, time permitting. We're going to check out what their family tree looks like, get to know some of the key players, and along the way, I'll be sure to point out any interesting landmarks. So if you're ready, let's do it! One of the best things you can do when trying to work out what a thing is, is to figure out what it isn't. So let's ask a question that I know has been plaguing you for years. What is the most bird-like animal that isn't a bird. In other words, what are birds' closest living relatives? Yeah, I won't leave you in suspense. It's the crocodile. Pretty obvious when you stop to think about it. I mean, have you even looked at a crocodile? They've got the same elongated body, the same snoutful of teeth, the same hard, leathery skin, the same innate desire to take to the skies, and the same killer instinct. Honestly, if you put a crocodile and a crane side by side, I don't think I'd be able to tell the difference. The two last shared a common ancestor 240 million years ago. Yeah, let's be honest, numbers that big don't make any sense, so just how long ago was that? Well, it's a time before birds were a thing, and it's a time before dinosaurs were even a thing, so yeah, it was a long time ago. If we skip back that cheeky 240 mil, we would find a large, egg-laying, reptile-like creature which, in all likelihood, would have looked a lot closer to a crocodile than any bird we might think of today. This creature, known as the... Archosaur? Archosaur. Pretty sure there's no consensus on the right way to say that word. The... Archosaur. would eventually evolve into the dinosaurs, the birds, and the crocodilians. Funnily enough, crocodiles are actually more closely related to birds, than to their other reptilian brethren – go figure. Of course, it wasn't until all the non-avian dinosaurs went the way of the dodo – wait, can I say that something went the way of the dodo before the dodo died? Of course, it wasn't until all the non-avian dinosaurs turned up with a case of the deadsies that modern birds really made their mark. That event took place 66 million years ago when a big old chunk of space rock stopped by to say hello. From that point what followed was a massive radiation of new species which led to the 10,000 we have today. Meanwhile if we were to take a look at what the crocodilians did in the same amount of time, what would we find? We would find a measly 27 species. I feel like the crocodiles aren't even trying to evolve. That's so few species I could probably just list them all right now. You've got the American crocodile, the freshwater crocodile, the Nile crocodile, the Cuban crocodile, the Borneo crocodile, the saltwater crocodile, the Siamese crocodile, the West African uh, Nathan from the future the here, I, I think you American get the idea. Let's just Chinese skip alligator. to the end. The smooth and the black cayman. Now, when you compare 27 species on one side to 10,000 on the other, you know that when I say there was a massive avian evolutionary explosion, I really meant it went kaboom. Because there was such a huge diversification within the family, it has caused decades of confusion and consternation among evolutionary biologists as to how this family tree is even structured. But let's just try to pick our way through it a little. So, I asked the question, what is the most bird-like animal that isn't a bird? Well, now I've got two new questions. What is the least bird-like bird that is still a bird? And what is the most bird-like bird? I those questions even make sense, let's just go with it and see what happens. So the least bird-like bird, we can work that out just by looking at them. The power of sight! And they are our old friends, the radites, the giant flightless freaks. Ostrich, emu, cassowary, but also a kiwi, and a couple of other things. I mean, just look at a cassowary and tell me it isn't a dinosaur. They're as big as a man, they've got a horn-like cask on top of their head, and toenails so sharp they could slit your throat. Not even kidding, there are reported cases of cassowaries killing people. And then we have the ostrich. I'm going to live with you. It's barely a bird at all. They stand 3 metres tall and can weigh a scary 145 kilograms. They're also the only bird that has just two toes. I mean, give it a Google, it's a weird thing to look at. They have one large, powerful toe, and a smaller, stubby one that they use for support. Springing off these toes, the ostrich can move at a top speed of 70 kilometers per hour. That's impressive. So impressive, in fact, that people race ostrich, just like people race horses. They literally harness them up with saddles and ride them around a track. I mean, don't judge. It's a proud South African tradition. Meanwhile, if we look at the kiwi, we find a cute little brown ball of fluff that looks like a two-legged rat with an echidna's nose. Kiwis are kind of freaks. Now, you may doubt that the ostrich and the kiwi are closely related, but all we have to do to prove it is look at their eggs. You see, most birds lay an egg that is around 3-6% mm, to 6% of their body weight, but the kiwi, the kiwi, its egg is an I watering 20% of its body weight. That's like giving birth to a 16 kilo baby. So why does the kiwi do it? Well, there are pros and cons to having a big egg. The cons are pretty self-evident, you've got to put a lot of energy into growing that egg, you can only have one, I'm sure laying something that size is not a fun time. But there are pros. What with more delicious yolk to sustain them, kiwi chicks hatch out far more developed than other birds. They're already fully feathered, more self-sufficient, and don't rely on their parents to feed them. So, I guess you win some, you lose some. Now, you may have guessed where I'm going with this, but the theory as to why their eggs are so large is because it's believed the kiwi was once a big bird that gradually grew smaller over time, while its eggs stayed the same size. That is, if you can... grow smaller? Does that make sense? It's actually a process called Island Dwarfism, a tendency in nature where island-dwelling animals become miniature over time. Did you know there used to be dwarf elephants on the islands of Cyprus and Malta? True story. You should check it out. But we're here to talk about birds. Evolution. You turn your back on it for one moment and all of a sudden you're three inches tall laying a two inch egg. It is crazy. So those are the weirdos, the birds that are way out there on the edge. But let's try to move to the centre. What is the most bird-like bird? I realise that question doesn't make sense, so let's try and approach this in some sort of way that makes some semblance of sense. New question. What is the most common bird on Earth? Uh, do I need to specify Earth? It's not like there are astro birds. New question. What is the most common bird? That sounds like a simple question, but you've kinda gotta define what you mean by common, because we could get three different answers here. But what I want is a wild bird with the most widespread global range, and that is the house sparrow. I think I'd be hard-pressed to come across a person that hasn't come across a sparrow because they are everywhere. These diminutive brown and grey birds began life in the Middle East, and they spread, and they spread, and they spread, and now they're basically everywhere. They're on every continent except Antarctica, and you can find them in pretty much every urban setting. And in a strange way, they kind of are the representative of what a bird is. You know, they're small, little flighty things, eat seed, make nests, they Twitter and tweet and bounce around and have a grand old time. Their scientific name is Passa domesticus, Passa being Latin for sparrow. And they lend this name to the taxonomic order they belong to, the Passiformes, that which has the form of a sparrow. And this group of birds, all Nelly, let me tell you, this group of birds is the single largest family of birds in the whole family tree of birds. More than half of all birds belong to this group. That's between five and 6,000 species. I'm talking about finches and wrens and tits and warblers and babblers. I'm talking about crows and jays and honey eaters. I'm talking about flycatchers and larks and starlings, even lyrebirds, butcherbirds and magpies and even things you ain't ever heard of like, uh, I don't know ant birds, dippers, and puffbacks. Literally thousands of birds. They all form this huge family, and they're all kind of related to sparrows. So did we do it? I think we found our center. I'm calling it, guys. The most bird-like bird is the sparrow, and if you don't like that, you can fight me. So now we've got our center and the out-of-edge of crazy, and everything else just slips into the middle somewhere. But don't let me mislead you there is still plenty of crazy to be found. Because after the dinosaurs were wiped out, the non-avian dinosaurs, there were plenty of ecological niches, niches, just waiting to be filled. People say this is where mammals got their start, but there are only 5,000 mammals, while there are 10,000 birds, so birds outnumber them two to one. As far as I'm concerned, mammals just need to check themselves. Our birds evolved to find a home in any environment you can think of frozen wasteland, we got penguins. Wide open ocean, we got albatrosses. Barren deserts, we got sand grouse. And those are just the hard environments. You've got seagulls and waders that make a living in tidal areas, probing the sand for snacks. Birds even worked out how to live on nectar like an insect. The aptly named bee hummingbird is just 6 centimetres long with a mass of 2.6 grams. That's the same as a penny. That's 50 times smaller, 58 thousand times lighter than an ostrich. The bee hummingbird barely exists at all. And yet, it has its own amazing attributes. Thanks to their unique wings, they can generate lift on both the forward and reverse stroke. Thanks to that trick, hummers are the only birds that can hover, fly backwards, and upside down. At top speed, a hummer can flap its wings 100 times per second, and their hearts can beat at 1,200 times per minute. As a result, their metabolism is cuckoo ca off the charts crazy and they need to constantly feed or they'll starve to death. It's so bad that even to sleep they place themselves into a kind of coma called a torpor as a way to conserve energy. Their heart rate collapses, their breathing orbit stops. It's the only way they can survive, literally going into hibernation every night. Other birds went in the opposite direction and became specialist predators eagles, hawks, and owls all live on the flesh of beasts, let me assure you, for anything small enough to be taken down by a bird, the age of the dinosaurs never ended. The peregrine falcon, for example, is the fastest living creature, it can hit speeds of over 300 kilometers an hour when they go into their death dives or stoop, that's over 100 meters per second. Now, I know what you're thinking, it isn't that impressive, the only thing it's doing is falling with style, but... Oh no my friend, it is so much more than that. You see, every inch of the Peregrine Falcon is designed for speed. Their wings are angled to cut down on air resistance, they have a second eyelid that allows them to see while wind is rushing into their face, they have a special bone in their nose that allows them to breathe while travelling at high speeds that generate intense pressure. So successful is their design that jet planes even use the same thing in their engines to break up airflow so they can operate at high speeds. And to top it all off, when a peregrine falcon pulls out of their death dive, they can withstand up to 25 G-forces. Now, I'd like to see you fall out of a plane and do that. Next, we have birds that wanted to eat meat, but were too lazy to hunt. The scavengers. Birds that do clean-up duty for the dead. I'm talking vultures with stomach acids so strong they can digest the anthrax virus. We're still not quite sure how they do that. A vulture also holds the record for the greatest altitude ever reached by a bird. 11.3 kilometres high. Now, we know this for a fact because in 1973, a commercial airliner sucked one into its jets while cruising at that height. The impact caused the plane to lose its engine, but they were able to make an emergency landing without loss of life. That is, unless you count the bird, which was completely annihilated. But when you stop to think about it, it's really amazing. People can't even get to the top of Mount Everest, not even 9 kilometres high, without oxygen tanks. So how does a bird do it? The trick lies in their haemoglobin. They have a special kind of protein in their blood that is basically a magnet for oxygen. So much so that even under low pressure, at high altitudes, they have no trouble drawing out what they need from the thin air. But how do you get that high in the first place? They do it by riding thermal currents. They hit these huge columns of rising hot air and then ride them all the way to the top. This is the reason why you see vultures circling. It's not because they're hovering over a dying animal, but because they need to keep turning to stay inside the thermal column of hot air. They rise up and then they glide down and they rise up and then they glide down. Doing this, they can cover huge distances without so much of a flap of a wing. And just like our vulture, I feel like we've covered a lot of ground today, but at the same time, we've hardly even started. I haven't said anything about cuckoos, birds that outsource parenting to someone else. Haven't said anything about woodpeckers, a bird that makes a living by literally slamming its face into a tree. Haven't even mentioned the most important bird to human caloric intake, the chicken, the humble chicken. And what about ducks? and pigeons, and toucans, and grebes, and loons, and cranes, and cormorants. We haven't even scratched the surface. But here's the good news. It means I've got a lot of stories left to tell you. Hopefully, though, we've now answered the question, what the heck is a bird? Wait, have we? Uh, I don't know, I mean... Oh, if you don't know what a bird is after all this, I don't know if I can help you. Listen, just join me again next time and we'll be breaking down a bird's most important feature, its feathers. Just, what can those things do? Spoiler alert, it's a lot more than you think. But I'll see you all then. Is one bird, over often I release this podcast, not enough for you? And I've got some good news. If you'd like a bird in your inbox every week, simply send an email to weekly.bird at... Outlook.com, and I'll add you to the Bird of the Week mailing list. No ads, no subscriber fees, just beautiful birds flying at you each and every week. Until then, this has been Bird of the Week. Ah, God dang it, I didn't even mention parrots. How do you forget the parrots?